Oh, I was saying if there was ever a time to give Will Smith an Oscar, that would have been it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now yeah. I'm curious to see if there's there's another time to give Will Smith an Oscar. Nah, I'm I'm cool. He can produce stuff. No, no, I mean just like not like now, I mean like in general. Not that I can think of. What's his most like acting movie like outside of Ali? That's good. Well, yeah. It's Pursuit of Happiness. He was nominated for that. Yeah, there was... That movie sucks. I really don't like that movie. Oh, uh, yeah? Why is it so hard for me to think of fucking Will Smith movies all because, of a sudden? Because they're all action, like, big-budget movies, and none of them... And none of them are, like... Uh, concussion? That movie sucks. It's not a good nope, movie. Nope, um, nope. If you, want, you know what? If you're going to go after Pursuit of Happiness, which I'm kind of okay with, uh, Concussion's fucking boring and sucks. And he's not that great in it. Six Degrees of Separation? Uh, like, a, like, like, like a mild supporting nomination, maybe. Yeah, no, the dude does big budget movies, and that's really... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Collateral Beauty. I forgot about that movie. Oh, yeah. That movie sucks. Are oh, you ready for another one that sucks? Winter's Tale. And yeah, my parents went to that. Uh, man, they were, the, they were the, they were the, what, the two? I think they said there was one person in front of them, but he hung himself halfway through. So technically, yes. So that's an Akiva Goldsmith vehicle, right? I have no idea who that is. The long-term screenwriter turned director who's, like, every single movie, I swear to you, every single one of them is fucking garbage. Like, everything he writes or everything he directs? So, like, every every script, you're like, what? So, yeah, it's like Batman Forever, uh-huh. Time to Kill, Batman and Robin, Lost in Space, Practical Magic, which is fine, I guess. <laughs> A Beautiful Mind, which, that movie... That movie sucks. Yeah. I Robot, bad. Cinderella Man, bad. The Da Vinci Code, really bad. I Am Legend, oh, very bad. I'll, I'll stand for a time to kill. That has two great performances in it. That's one? What? That's like two that we uh, are like cool you, with? And you, and you like I, Robot. I think I, Robot's fine. But like, that's what? Cinderella? Three? Oh, oh. In it's a back. wave of garbage? Tyler, it's back. The Da Vinci Code. Yeah. Oh, shit. He did all of them. He did Angels and Demons. Yeah. Oh, Oh no! And then like, ooh, he did the Dark Tower. His directorial debut is Winner's Tale, which is terrible. And then he writes like the Divergent series, the Fifth Wave, fucking the like Rings sequel is his name. His story by for Transformers last night, the Dark Tower, and then what the fuck Stephanie is, which is a movie I've never even heard of. I am sure it doesn't actually exist. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something, Tyler, and. I, I want you to uh, just make sure this is on so everyone hears this. Sometimes a dude's got to eat. Sounds like this dude enjoys not being homeless, and he's figured out a way to make himself not homeless. He is also a producer on movies that make money. So yeah. like, yeah. he don't got to write this stuff. No, no. Some people obviously like him enough, and he obviously has done well enough to keep coming to that dance. He was one of the producers on Lone Survivor. I don't think he ever has to work ever again. Oh my god, that movie did make a lot of money. Can I can I tell you something though? And I agree that this guy definitely is not up to the standards of the two gentlemen we're going to be talking about today who made films. Can I tell you something? I was um I was getting out of the shower this morning. I was preparing for our show, and all of a sudden I got really bummed about something. Tyler, have you ever thought to yourself maybe if I could have been somewhere at the right time I could have changed something? Yeah, all the time. 
Yeah, and I mean, like, a lot of people would say, well, if I could go back, I'd kill Hitler, or I'd make sure the people knew about the terrorist attacks on 9-11. I, I would do something different, Tyler. I would like to, in the mid-'80s, right at the height of one man's power, and right maybe as another one's is starting to go up, I want to get together and have a lunch with Alan J. Pacula and Scott Bakula, and I want to pitch them doing a movie about Dracula. The marketing alone would sell that movie. Scott Bakula was never bigger at the time. Alan J. Pacula is a well-respected director, and they're doing one of the greatest subject matters of all time, Count Dracula. It sells itself. From Pacula comes Bakula as Dracula. I do like that. And I, I like that so much because it would probably cause a chain of events that would cause Francis Ford Coppola's uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula to never exist. So I actually really like that a lot. Oh, you're not supporting me. You just want to hurt somebody else, you monster. <laughs> I really don't like that movie. <laughs> Look, there's a lot of bad things about Francis Ford Coppola, Coppola's Dracula, but one of them is not Gary Oldman. We should have given him the award for that. At least that makeup was cool. Look, I kind of respect that Dracula because it is a man taking a lot of swings and most of them are fucking ground outs to the third baseman, but like he's he's going for it. He's trying to hit him into the bleachers and he is he's not, for me anyway. He uh he really took a swing at the old at the old batter's box. He's on a golf course. Is anyone else going to acknowledge this? <laughs> he's just tossing golf balls in the air and trying to hit him. He's not even using golf balls, he's using like footballs. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like he goes, this one's coming over the fence, baby. It's Tom Waits in a huge roll. Whiff. He goes, damn it. <laughs> Alright, here we go, baby. Keanu Reeves doing a British accent. Woo! Oh shit. All right, going to try the Keanu Reeves thing again. Keanu Reeves doing old-timey dialogue. And, ooh, I actually knocked it backwards. Somehow I've hit one of my producers with the ball. <laughs> Gary Oldman doing Dracula. Solid triple. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, poor Alan J. Pagula. It would have put him over the top. That would have got him his Oscar. I know it. I was just thinking about, like, after watching this movie, I was like, man, how does this guy who makes, like, Clue, which is, like, one of my favorite discoveries of last year, and this movie become, like, such an anonymous director by the 90s. I'll tell you how. I, I didn't have an answer. You I was didn't just... have an answer, okay. Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from a parking lot where men stand in shadows and discuss the fate of the United States, to a foggy San Francisco street where people are killed and history has changed, and what does it all matter? We're probably going to a war with Iran. That's when this one's recorded. This is Two White Guys Talking Film. I'm, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. I'm and the non-depressing one today. That's weird. And I've never been happier to be 32 and not able for the draft. <laughs> I, as someone who I think is still eligible to be drafted, oh. I'm, what, 2027 20, later this week? That. Is it your uh, birthday? Uh, this week, yeah. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. I am just going to start really laying it on heavy on my left ear so that I am, like, mostly definite, so that I don't, <laughs> don't have to go to war. By the way, we fucked up last week. Why didn't we pitch a movie about Arnold Schwarzenegger and Marley Matlin having to be two people who have to be inconspicuous and not be deaf? You know that what, buddy cop movie, honestly. Right? Yeah. 
What a weird buddy cop movie that would be. The thing is, is Marley Matlin's really good at fun, uh, really good at comedy. Oh God, that Seinfeld episode alone is proof of that. I mean, that weird performance she was in My Name Is Earl. Which they never got back to. Now that I'm remembering it. Oh uh, yeah. That that show has really aged very poorly in my mind. My name is Earl. Well, yeah, it was never supposed to be that. It's like Roseanne. Roseanne does not age well. Well, it's not that it didn't age well. It was one of those shows where it was like, this is like a, a crazy look at like low income people. And then like, now that I think about it, I'm like, wow, that show like really wasn't good. And oh, no, it was like it's not really good. popular for like, a, like one season and then disappeared off the face of the earth. I'll bet you it did four seasons, though. It did. But like, I'm just remembering like the last two seasons were so bad. Anyway, huh. I, mean, well, I would... used to watch My Name Is Earl like all the time, and that that show fell off very quickly. Ah, we all thought Jason Lee was going to be a TV star. It's not your fault. He you mean he can really do them flips that make the boards go spin around, you know? It's true. All right, well, we don't have to talk about all those upsetting things or other <laughs> things, but fuck, oh, mm. I'm so worried about Naito winning. <laughs> Sorry, that's. What... <laughs> What I'm mostly worried about. Worried about? Ah, um, uh, I'm worried about his body. Number one. Oh no! What's that mean? I, I'm worried because Naito physically tries to kill himself during matches. Like, I feel like when you come on to Los Ingobernables, the first rule is: look, everybody goes 100. percent Nobody quits. Die or you win. Yeah, pretty pretty much the speech from uh, Starship Troopers. He goes, he goes, <laughs> you're my guy until I until you're dead or I find somebody better. Like, Hiromu nearly killed himself twice last night. That dude just came back. Fucking people really do be misinterpreting Starship Troopers. It's a great movie. Anyway, great movie. We should maybe uh, do that movie someday. Yeah, I mean, maybe it'll be on one of our best of the weeks. Except we have to talk about what we saw this week for our best of the week. So, Tyler, what was your best of the week? For Nears, I watched, it still counts technically, shut up. I watched Sleepless in Seattle on a VHS tape. Ugh. That's a good movie. I, well, yeah. Yeah, uh, I know. I've seen parts of it on The Cable Guy. <laughs> the Cable Guy, all right, yeah. Um, hey, I really... hey, 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 you don't talk about Jim Carrey's greatest work. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I, uh, I, popped, I popped big You're time. Right, <laughs> I popped big time when I saw who, who was, <laughs> did the fucking cinematography. It was Sven Nyquist, who is the cinematographer for like most of Ingmar Bergman's like big work. And who so like I saw that name and I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, who directed Sleepless in Seattle? Nora Ephron. What do you think Nora Ephron was like? I'm going to get that guy who did all the cinematography on Ingmar Bergman stuff. Yeah, no, definitely. Because, like, his name popped up and I was like, what? Excuse me? Oh, God, he did. Look at all yes. this. Interesting. Let's give us a quick little thing on Sleepless in Seattle. I have actually never seen this, I don't think. Sleepless in Seattle uh, stars Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. It's one of them movies. Tom Hanks is a widow with a son who is like, fuck Chicago. Too many sad memories here. Gotta move to Seattle. Moves to live on a boat house, question mark, in Seattle. And one night his son calls into one of those like, it's a movie that like could not happen anymore for multiple reasons. One, it hinges on a son calling in a like call in love line type show. And saying that, like, my dad needs a new wife, essentially. And, like, forces Tom Hanks on the phone. 
he's like a Baltimore Orioles fan for some reason. I don't really remember why, but so is Meg Ryan. They start like a letter correspondence that Tom Hanks is like very hesitant to get into because he starts dating this other lady who's fine and like, okay, but like kind of boring. And Ooh, well, look at you on your high horse calling out the boring the movie lady. Like it says she's boring. Like, I don't know. Oh, the, oh, the movie tells you what to think. You can't have your own thoughts. Who's this poor lady you're attacking? This poor lady I'm attacking. I believe. What's this chippy's name? What's uh... I forget. Let me look. Can I call her a chippy? I'm only going to be on. <laughs> Fine. Oh, is this Rita Wilson? I think it might be. I don't remember. Susie? Is that Susie? I think it might be. Let me read the plot synopsis really quick. What's the character's name? I don't remember, Ben. Well, it sounds like you didn't like this movie. I did. I like this movie a lot. I think it's it's cute. And I think the scene where Meg Ryan listens to Tom Hanks on the radio is actually one of the best like romantic comedy scenes ever. Like it's good. it's really up there. I really good loved it. Lord, there's a lot of people in this. A lot of people. Bill Pullman's Bill Pullman. a waiter? He's just a waiter? No, his name is Walter, Ben. Oh, it says Walter. He is gets he, Bill Pullman. Is he a waiter named Walter? I hope he's a waiter. Um, I wish. He gets Bill Pullman in this movie, which is the thing that I'm coining as the guy who is in the relationship with a woman who she leaves to go with the guy, other guy in the movie. Or you're looking for his cuckold. Well, no, because it happens to Bill Pullman, I think, in like three or four different ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah it's, 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 okay, so you just got, so cinematically, you got Pullman means you got cuckolded. Just like you got beamed means you get killed off consistently. Mm-hmm. I think her name might be Gabby. It might be Jessica. Gabby Hoffman's character. I think I'm. It's I can't. I'm scanning the summary and I can't find it. And I'm very sorry to that person. It's not uh, Rosie O'Donnell. It's not Rosie O'Donnell. That Rosie would O'Donnell be plays, Rosie, Rosie O'Donnell plays the the like uh, the quirky, funny best friend character of who Meg Ryan or Tom Meg Hanks. Ryan. Of Meg Ryan. Oh, it'd be so yeah, much better. Women can't be Hanks. friends, Ben. What are you talking about? Yes, they can. I've seen it, I think. I think it was in a magazine. I don't remember. No, Nora Ephron literally says that men and women can't be friends. <laughs> That's like a quote of hers. It's because Nora Ephron's not into men at all. Nora Ephron just wants to make movies about women. Look, just women together. And that's fine. I want her to fine. Those I'd like that. Yeah, me too. How great would this be if Sleepless in Seattle were like, I don't know, Meg Ryan and, I don't know, who, who's an actress of that time? <laughs> Who's an early 90s actress? Yeah. Julia Roberts. Just those two. Uh, uh, how about Meg Ryan and Janine Garofalo? Oh, even better. Because then you have like the one who's like, oh, for the people we're trying to sell this to. Yeah, she's like, she's kind of the more like less. She would make sense for Seattle yeah. in 1992. She actually would. I'm going to have to watch this. Maybe I, I do enjoy Nora Ephron. I recently, I recently watched probably, The Holiday, actually, which I enjoyed. It's probably her best movie. God damn. She only directed eight movies. She wrote a lot, though. Oh, no, I know she wrote a lot. I'm just surprised she only directed eight movies. Um, yeah. Uh, what? This is my life. I've never heard of that. You've Got Mail is obviously like probably the most famous one. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, she did that remake of Bewitched. You know, I just realized something, and this is going to maybe upset you. I'm thinking of someone completely different. I believe you're thinking of... Nancy Myers. Yes. Yeah. Who I love. Who's also really good. Yeah, she is. Maybe I gotta watch more Nora Ephron stuff. You're right. Yeah. Nancy Myers did the holiday, not Nora Ephron. Yeah. Nora Here's Ephron. the question: Did Nora Ephron and Nancy Myers ever make a movie together? Oh, I wish. You could have That's Ephron like... writing, Myers directing. Yeah, 
really Tom funny. Hanks and Meg Ryan back as like the older parents of the couple or of one of the couple you're focusing on. Uh, if you like Sleepless in Seattle, you should watch the movie it's based off of, which is called The Shop Around the Corner. Ooh. Which is a good movie starring Jimmy. This Susan. was nominated for two Oscars. Sleepless in Seattle? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, best writing screenplay for directly for the screen and best music. I still can't believe Sven Nyquist did the fucking cinematography. It does not make sense to me. Especially since a... I've been on such a Bergman kick lately. I was like, what? This doesn't break the cycle. I'm good. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Interesting. Well, you know, I can't really talk about the best thing I saw this week. Because it kind of plays in later in the show. So, and I want it to be, I want it to be a big reveal for you. So okay. do you mind if we hold on it? It'll be till the next movie. Yeah, totally. Perfect. I appreciate that. You can obviously put it in the show notes, but that'll be fine. No one, no one will know. No one will know. Yeah. So what we're here to do is talk about two movies that are about history. And hopefully we can look back at these and maybe learn something about the future of our world by looking back. So Tyler is coming out on stage and somehow he's dressed as a man in the shadows, even though I'm sure we have every floodlight on him. I don't know how he's doing that. And he's smoking. <laughs> Follow the money. It's about why Nixon. Whis- why are you whispering? It's about Nixon. Sorry. Sorry. That's not my time to talk. Go ahead. And Follow the money, man. About Nixon, sludge fund, uh, GOP, Watergate. It's of course about Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein and their investigation while they were working at the Washington Post in 1974 into the Watergate scandal, which led to the impeachment and resignation of Richard Milhouse Nixon, the resignation of all of his staff, and the imprisonment of a lot of them. This is the 1976 Alan J. Pacula film. Written by William Goldman, All the President's Men. How's it going? What are you doing? Caution, bro. What? Caution. What's wrong with it? Nothing, nothing. It's good. Then what are you doing with it? I'm just helping. It's a little fuzzy. May I have it? I don't think you're saying what you mean. I know exactly what I mean. Not here. I can't tell from this whether Hunt works for Colson or Colson works for Hunt. May I have it? Some of your conclusions. May I have it? Yes, I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not looking for a fight either. I'm just aware of the fact that you've only been here nine months. What does that got to do with anything? Well, I've been in the business since I'm 16. What are you saying? Well, I'm trying to tell you that if you'd read mine and then read yours... May I read yours? Yeah. I walked by, gave yours a glance, it didn't look right, so I just figured I'd refine it a little. That first paragraph has to have more clarity. The reader's going to understand. You don't mention Colson's name for the third paragraph. I think mine's better, but you go ahead and read it. If you think yours is better, we'll give yours to the desk. I've got Colson's name up front. He was a White House consultant, and nobody knows right. it. Yours is better. Do it, do it right. Here are my notes. If you're gonna hype it, hype it with the facts. I don't mind what you did. I mind the way you did. Woodward, Bernstein, you're both on the story. Now don't fuck it up. 
I have a clip, by the way. I meant to send it to you. Oh, please do. I would love that. Also, I'm going to say this. Your deep throat literally sounds like a man trying to give information about the future of the country while masturbating in a garage. It's Good. it's it's quite filthy. It's Good. it's quite I'm filthy. not Hal Holbrook. I've never claimed to be Hal Holbrook. <laughs> no one ever said you were. And I'll be <laughs> damned if I'm going to let you start talking about it now. I I had never seen this film. Really? Uh, yeah. I wanted to watch it because of how much I liked Clute. I was like, fuck yeah. I want to watch more of this guy's movies. And now, by the way, I'm all in on Alan J. Pacula. I'm like, oh, I, 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 think, we should, I think we should watch a ton of this stuff. Even The Devil's Own. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm down. I'm like, I want to watch the whole thing. Give me all of them. Um, Pacula. <laughs> he'll be a fun Mount Rushmore in a few years. Um, but... Wait, you guys haven't done Kubrick, but you've done Alan J. Pacula? That's right, huge podcast producer who wants to put us on full-time. We have done Alan J. Pacula, but not Kubrick. We? We're saving him <laughs> for when you sign us. I like these guys' style. Who the fuck is Alan J. Pacula? Shut up, you. That's, that's how that conversation <laughs> what? You haven't heard of You haven't heard of Sophie's Choice? You haven't heard of Clute? <laughs> we just start laying into the guy with him. He goes, hey, guys, I'll yell at him. It's like, sorry. So All the President's Men, this is one of the best movies of the 70s. I don't think there's any argument. Oh, for sure. It kind of comes towards the end of New Hollywood, I would say. I think the like late 70s is when New Hollywood sort of falls off a little bit due to the waning interest. And also shit like Jaws and Star Wars starts popping off. That starts to hold the interests of the general public a lot more than you know, pot boilers about how the government's bad. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, You're not wrong. I think this movie is, it's one of those movies that I, you hear everyone be like, Oh, this movie's like, it's one of the best movies, right? Like it's one of those greats. Like fucking whoever puts on those like theater chain old time movies. I feel like this movie gets put on like every other year at like the Cinemarks and Regals when they schedule the like TCM Turner classic movies, like reshowing movies in the movie theater. Thing. Even if this was celebrating, like let's, I don't know. So 76, how, how, what is this turn this year? This would be what 40, I think it'd be like 44 years old. Yeah. 44 years old. If this movie was turning 44 this year, they would still find a reason to put this on the classic series at some point, because it's just such, it's, it's a watchable movie and it's just one of the best examples of what you can do when you take a real life event and you put like some of the best people in Hollywood around it. Mm -hmm. It was produced by Redford himself. Oh, uh, oh, we're going to talk about Redford's involvement in all of this. Because <laughs> that dude loves Redford some Redford. Yeah, Redford loves himself. Which is not a bad thing, necessarily. Do you want to just go through... We've already talked about Alan J. Pacula because he was on the show before. He was. Uh, yeah, relatively is... recently. But, you know, before... Let's let's touch one thing on him real quick. He only did 16 movies. Wow, that is insane. That's a lot, though. It's Yeah, it is. So this is actually the close to his, like, Paranoia trilogy. Mm -hmm. Which first starts with Clute, mm -hmm. then moves on to the Parallax view... And then moves on to all the president's men. I mean, this is the best one of the three. Yeah, like, I mean, I mean, oh, re oh, really? You, you don't, you don't think you think? Do you think Clute is better? I like Clute a lot. I really do like Clute a lot. I think Clute and this are like really like neck and neck. And if you interviewed me on certain days, it would be one or the other. But I also haven't seen Parallax View, 
So, yes, I'm itching to watch that movie. Interesting. Okay. But, yeah, I think this is, I think this is definitely, in most people's minds, probably the best one. This is a movie about two men seeking to find the truth about what happened when gentlemen from the Republican Party broke into the Democratic national office and attempted to kind of get a leg up on the competition. Mm -hmm. And this is the story of Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, played by Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. By the way, low-key one of Dustin Hoffman's best performances. Oh, it's, it's it's a great performance from Dustin Hoffman, which you will not hear me praise him that often. I think this is probably one of my favorite performances of his, like, for sure. Okay, and it's also directed, as we said, by Alan J. Pacula. And the person I want to talk about before we get to the two actors, because without writing, there there cannot be acting. William Goldman wrote this. William Goldman, one of Hollywood's biggest, biggest golden boys. I'm sorry for the pun. I'm very sorry. No, no, no. You should see the pun I did. Alan J. Pacula. Alan J. Goodula, more like. Am I right? Uh, I put, guess who's Bacula? It's Alan J. Pacula. <laughs> Jesus. That is pretty bad. I know. Yeah. Thank you. Let's talk about <laughs> William Goldman. The as I, I I mean shit, I think I also put it the gold standard. He wrote Ghost in the Darkness. I fucking love William Goldman. William Goldman is the type of guy who at every time I learn about something else that he's written, I'm like, oh shit, he wrote that movie? But at the same time you're not surprised because he's just that good. Yeah. Read me the thing he does the same year as all the presidents men. Same year he wrote Marathon Man. <laughs> That's wild, first of all. Which I was like, I was like, oh yeah, it's 76. Didn't like Marathon Man come out that year? And like, to like find out that it's not only both a movie that stars Desmond Hoffman, but was also written by the same guy who wrote that movie. Yeah. Wild. He also, the year before, writes The Stepford Wives. Yeah. The dude was unstoppable at one point. I mean, the the movie that like gets him the biggest notoriety is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yeah, well, Butch Cassidy is definitely, I would say, his crowning achievement. Sorry, I went up a little bit. Have you ever heard of a movie called Magic? Yeah, the, um, the, uh, I have heard of that movie. It's a, uh, Anthony Hopkins movie where he is a ventriloquist and the dummy is, like, his surrogate. Through which he, like... A ventriloquist is at the mercy of his vicious dummy while he tries to renew a romance with his high school sweetheart. Stars Anthony Hopkins, directed by Richard Attenborough and written by William Golden. I'm watching, and stars Burgess Meredith. I'm watching this fucking tonight. It's good. It's a good movie. Oh, oh, you've seen it? Yeah, it's a, the doll is fucking terrifying. I'm looking at a picture of the doll. This is upsetting. It looks like Anthony Hopkins. Oh, interesting. He takes a, a bunch of time off writing novels and comes back with Heat, not the heat that you're thinking of. The Burt Reynolds heat, which is like a Las Vegas movie and is very weird. Oh, he wrote Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Now I kind of have to buy that movie. That's it's 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 a fucking weird one, man. He also wrote Princess Bride. Yeah, well, he wrote the book and then uh, he adapted his own novel. It's pretty metal. Chaplin. That's a movie. Oh, he did Last Action Hero. Did like a pass on it. Well, uh, come in uh, and touch it up. I'm William Goldman. Have you ever seen Malice? No, I've never seen Malice. It's a fucking bonkers movie. Oh, he wrote Dreamcatcher. What a bad movie. That's not a good movie. I don't uh, blame him, though. But Ooh, Heart, Hearts in Atlantis? No. Oh, he, he starts does. to fall off near the he end. Does. He does. That's fine. All writers eventually fall off. But, like, the stuff that he's, like, 
known for or remembered for even even some of his later stuff like Chaplin and even like being a consultant on Malice which is such a fucking weird weird movie to be a part of for him this Marathon Man A Bridge Too Far and like stuff like like Misery is also something that we didn't bring up A Few Good Men which you consulted on apparently those are like definitely cemented places. Like one of the best screenwriters of his era. Yeah, at least if, one of the most if respected. Not, if not one era. of the best screenwriters of all time, I would say. Yeah, I mean, and to be honest, like we said before, having actors is fine and everything. But if you don't have if you don't have writing, this movie does not work because this movie lives and dies by the dialogue. Yeah, it's all snappy dialogue. It's it's all and it's not even like trying to be. That's the other thing that makes it so oh. damn cool. Yeah. It's interesting to watch this and not have like not seen it and like coming from it and being like, wow, so many movies have just like have just kind of like ripped off this like newspaper format. Oh, dude, absolutely. I was I can't remember. We, we talked about one recently. Oh, I mean, shit. Spotlight. Fucking Spotlight yeah. ripped this off completely. Yeah. yeah. Any movie that has to do with like the like reporting on anything. is just like, oh, we could just do like an all the president's men type style. But about this thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's exactly what it is. Well, we should talk about the two reporters. This is Robert Redford probably at his most powerful, I would guess. Do you think the crest is actually when he wins for ordinary people? I think that's the start of the come down. Like, he never he never goes away, but, like, that's definitely him, like, him, like, being recognized, I think, for more so. Like, I've never actually seen ordinary people, but... I can't imagine it's as good as people make it out to be. I don't know. Isn't I've heard it? a lot of people really be like, that's actually like one of, that's like actually a great film. And I think he's actually weirdly like a sneakily good director. Mm-hmm. Cause like you have a river runs through it. You have quiz show you have a bunch of not good stuff, but I don't know. Like quiz show is great. Oh, we've, we've talked about quiz show. Um, and if ordinary people is anything as good as quiz quiz show, then I don't know. I mean, he, he also starts the Sundance Film Festival too, which is you know very important. Without it, we probably wouldn't have like a big swath of the '90s indie film scene. So, yeah, you're right. Quiz show. I always forget he did the Legend of Bagger Vance. Not a good movie. I pulled that up and I was like, oof. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't bring it up. I'll let Ben bring it up. Yeah. Um, um, let's see, but as an actor, he's more of an actor at this point. So now granted, he would tell you he wrote, directed, starred, and, um, also played Dustin Hoffman's character in this. He um, does have a big, big head, but. Oh, oh, he tries to fucking rewrite history on this movie. His but, 1969 is incredible. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Tell them, tell them Willie Boy is here and Downhill Racer. I've only seen one of them. Downhill Racer is a fucking jam and a half. I'm itching to rewatch it, but um, yeah, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, great movie. Downhill Racer, great movie. Interesting. I mean, shit, he does Gatsby in 74. 75 is Three Days in the Condor. He apparently worked with William Goldman in like every single one of his scripts, because I see all of them here. Yeah, he was. (laughs) Until a point. Yeah, he was fucking huge. Robert Redford was the Brad Pitt of his time. Yeah. Also equally as talented. No, yeah, yeah, he's a great actor. Have you ever seen um, The Candidate? No, I've heard The Candidate's good. I recently watched The Natural, though. Ooh, also good. Yeah. I would say he starts to fall off right around here, yeah. This, A Bridge Too Far, 
it's it's during Spy Game that Brad Pitt takes his essence and becomes the new Robert Redford. Well, I think he focuses in the eighties more on like directing. Oh yeah. I don't know what the fuck Brewbreaker is. That looks interesting. 80s, not a good time for movies. I'm just like looking at like, it's like Brewbreaker, The Natural, which is a good movie. Out of Africa, which is like not a good movie. Legal Eagles. I believe Out of Africa wins Best Picture, doesn't it? I will stand by saying it's not a good movie. I've only watched like a third of it. <laughs> that third was fucking boring. Oh, fair enough. But we are talking about all the President's Men. And you know, as they say, to have a Woodward, you need a Bernstein. And that's fucking Dustin Hoffman. Oh boy, Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> you, you got you got a problem with Dustin Hoffman? He is not a good person. Oh but... yeah, you're right. As a person, he fucking sucks. No argument. But as an actor at this time, holy shit. Yeah, very. Especially at this time, I feel like it's this feels like the mega powers, like almost like right before they're getting ready to explode. Where you're like, oh man, <laughs> they can take on anyone. I mean, let's just do a couple of things. Sixty nine, he does Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, he does, also, straw, he does Straw Dogs in 71. You're forgetting The Graduate, 68. Oh, yeah, that's That's right. like his most iconic performance. You're right, he does The Graduate, Midnight Cowboy. He does Straw Dogs. Which is a movie that I maybe politically in the weeds, but is also a movie that is like deeply fascinating to try and pull apart. I don't know. I have, I'm rough on Straw Dogs. Underappreciated movies. I don't know, man. Straw Dogs uh, is rough. Oh, it's rough for sure. Uh, Lenny. And then he does All the President's Men and Marathon Man in the same year. You're forgetting the recently remade Papillion. Oh, yeah. I've actually never seen the original. Oh, God, it's so long. That's what I've heard. And, like, his run kind of keeps going until Kramer versus Kramer. Well, and Tootsie, I guess. Yeah. Because he does Marathon Man after this, Straight Time, Agatha... Uh, Kramer vs. Kramer, Tootsie, and then Ishar, which is a much maligned movie. I've heard um, that's pretty terrible. I have heard mixed things. I've seen people really stand for Ishtar. It's directed by Eileen May, who I'm assuming can't make a bad movie, but that's my opinion. And then he does Rain Man, and then he gets that Oscar for Rain Man, Ugh. I think, right? That's true, when he should have been winning for other things. Look... The Oscars had a bad thing for not giving the big talented stars of the eighties their Oscar when they deserved it, and instead giving them for like milk toast middle brow movies in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not so, wrong. So those are our two lead newsmen, and they are trying to track down this story. And I think there's only one other person we need to talk about in this movie. Well, technically two, because they're the only other two people who I think um kind of, what do you call it, make up the, like, major parts. Why am I having such a hard time with this? Sorry. Supporting cast? Uh, yeah, there's only two other supporting um, people I think we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. And one of them is Hal Holbrook. Hunt's come in from the cold. Supposedly he's got a lawyer with $25,000 in a brown paper bag. Follow the money. What do you mean? Oh, I can't tell you that. But you could tell me that. No, I have to do this my way. You tell me what you know, and I'll confirm. I'll keep you in the right direction if I can, but that's all. Just follow the money. 
Hal Holbrook, Man in the Shadows, Deep Throat, who I believe when I was young, like in 2006, the um, identity of Deep Throat was not leaked, but um, he came forward because he was about to die. That is correct. Um, and so that, that person's a real person. His name is Mark Felt. He was, at the time, an associate director at the FBI, and he felt that he could not give this information in a way that would like leak his name, essentially, because he probably would be murdered. <laughs> um, and so he leaked the information to Bob Woodward using the pseudonym Deep Throat. And that pseudonym he got because uh, he smoked a lot of cigarettes, his voice is really deep, and also he was deep, deep under, like, cover, essentially. Yep. And, I mean, without him, maybe Nixon does not get brought down. Yeah. Yeah, without a lot of people, Nixon doesn't get brought down. Yeah, I mean, but essentially he is one of the huge parts of it. Yeah. Yeah, so much so they made a really bad Liam Neeson movie about it. Oh, God, that's right. Why'd you remind me? Because I don't want to be the only one. I forgot the movie even existed. Yeah, I know. That's how bad it is. Oh. And I would say the other person we need to talk about is Jason Robards. Oh, fuck yeah. Who plays Ben Bradley. No question you properly identified yourself. Said it right at the top. Mitchell, no, he was talking to a reporter. Yeah, but I think I woke him up. Yeah, good notes? Verbatim. He really said that about Mrs. Graham. Well, I'll cut the words of her tit and print it. What? It was a family newspaper. You know, once when I was reporting, Lyndon Johnson's top guy gave me the word. They were looking for a successor for J. Edgar Hoover. I wrote it, and the day it appeared, Johnson held a press conference and appointed Hoover head of the FBI for life. When he was done, turned to his top guy, and the president said, call Ben Bradley and tell him, fuck you. <laughs> well, everybody said, you did it, Ben. You screwed up. You stuck us with Hoover forever. I screwed up, but I wasn't wrong. How much can you tell me about Deep Throat? How much do you need to know? You trust him? Yeah. I can't do the reporting for my reporters, which means I have to trust them. And I hate trusting anybody. By the way, all these people were real. Like yep, every all single one. This may not have happened exactly the way it happened, and there might be some things for dramatic effects. But these were real people. These were two real reporters who had this source, who they like used to help write this article to bring down Nixon for all the corruption. And the guy who ran the paper was Ben Bradley. And I'll say this: if Jason Robard did not win a fucking Oscar for this role, I'm gonna be fucking pissed. I believe Ben that he did not. That's where you're wrong. Best actor in a supporting role, Jason Robard. He's fucking amazing in this. The scene where he's sitting across from them and he goes, he's like, oh, yeah. He goes, I remember when I uh, when I told him uh, J. Edgar Hoover was going to be out and the next day they named him FBI and he said, you call Ben Bradley and tell him the president said, fuck you. <laughs> and just has that great line. He's like, run it, baby. You're just like, yeah. 
I love the scene where they kind of get not tricked into it, but they kind of like fuck up a little bit where they're like, no, we've got support on this. We got support on this. And they run and he's like in the elevator and he's like, all right, we'll run it. And then like the, it like smash cuts to him just being like, Bernstein Woodward. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. The, there's something about Robarts in this movie where he is a presence that is so singular and you're kind of he's he plays this like weird like duality of like father figure where like you want him to love you but also he can fucking hate you oh absolutely and he's so good in this movie i mean he's pretty damn spellbinding in this and i mean there's not much you can say about this movie because you know what happens to nixon it's one of those one of those hard things to i also love the guy who his second in command who, by the way, if you've seen this, when you look at this guy, you're going to say, I know that guy. Why do I know that guy? It's because he's been in a thousand different things. Jack Warden as like the second, like the guy underneath Ben Bradley is so good. Mm-hmm. And just like, the, by the way, that'll be what closes out our clip. Woodward, Bernstein, you're working on the story together. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> That's right where I cut. That's where I, right where I clipped the uh, I knew it. I made. Yeah, because uh, they just look at each other like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, son of a bitch. Uh, so let me ask you, what is your favorite scene in this? I love the finale, like, a lot. Where it goes from, like, Nixon being inaugurated to, like, and they're just, like, typing. And it goes from him being inaugurated to, it, like, starts, it cuts to the, like, uh, papers. And the papers are still typing. And it's like, da 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 gets Oh, yeah. It's essentially the postscript to what happens. Yes. I don't yeah. know why. That was really like when they're like writing and he's like being inaugurated and you hear a speech a little bit. And then it cuts from that to it's just like just like it like keeps zooming in on them writing. I don't know. There's something really very evocative. about. Well, that's that's Pacula, man. This dude knows how to this dude knows how to write paranoia and th- or direct paranoia. And this dude especially knows how to direct like just small things. Mm-hmm. Pacula's I, always been good at that. I just love the way he uses split diopter shots because I feel like it's the opposite of how most people use them. Yeah. Wait, um, I'm sorry. The way he does what? Split diopter shots? Do you know what those are? I don't. Okay, so a diopter is like what is put on the camera. It's like it's the lens part of the camera. Okay. That's how it captures it. And so a split diopter, what that does is it splits the focus between two things. So you can put something in the foreground and focus and something in the background and focus. And it causes... So, so for example, if I was sitting in a meeting and there was someone sitting behind me, if they're blurry and I'm in the background, but you can still tell it's a person, that would be what you're talking about? If you were to see you clearly and that person behind you clearly, and then like oh, in the okay. middle, it's kind of fuzzy. Because oh, okay. in the middle, it's kind of like where the, the split of the lens is. Okay, okay. That's a split diopter shot. Oh, okay. Um, so give me an example in this of when he does that. So in the office, when you like are focusing on like two people talking and then like him like writing and it kind of like warps this world into like this like weird like sound evocative like evo- like uses really evocative like sound of like people talking and people like clapping and cheering while they're trying to do their work. I think it's really interesting and it kind of like bends their world in a really interesting way. I'll do this. You know the movie Blow Up? This I is do. The one I use. Okay. Yeah, you know it's, when... it's it's the same guy in Deep Red. <laughs> yeah. He's back. Um, he's back. No, no, the movie Blow Out. Sorry, the De Palma film. Oh. 
oh, the De Palma film with Travolta, which is his homage to blow up just with yes, sound. That's why okay, I get yes. them confused all the time. Hey, that's okay. When I'll go outside guy from blow up, I'll, I'll call you in a bit. <laughs> when um, the bad guy, John Lithgow, when he's like chasing down one of the girls and he has like that ice pick and you see the ice pick and then you see the woman off in the distance. Uh-huh. That's a split after shot. Oh, okay. I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, uh, I gotcha. I gotcha. So he uses those in the office in a way that I think is really interesting because instead of like putting two things on screen, like what happened, what like what Palma does or what Spielberg does, and then linking the two, he instead uses them as a way to warp the the actual world that these two are taking in and like make it kind of dis not just like distorted in a really interesting way mm-hmm. but yeah i just i was blown away by it still thinking about it interesting for me personally i think it's the scene where redford like is walking and you start to get the feeling someone's following him mm. and it turns out maybe to be nothing but you're still never sure his ability to craft paranoia is just tantamount to no one else i, I don't think anyone else can do it the way he does when He's talking to Deep Throat, and then the, the car, like... Yeah. <laughs> and he turns back, and Deep Throat's gone. Uh, uh, how, how great is the moment, too? By the way, because we ha- I think we talk about it almost every episode. You're on the right track. Follow the names. How the hell do you know? I can't tell you who I am, but I worked on the campaign. <laughs> Hey, Mr. Smithers! Well, you might as well give me a ride home now. Might as well give me a ride home. That's all I can think of when I see any of the deep throat scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that was a lot of talking. Ugh. No, but it was... No, it's a good movie, though. It was a great movie. Yeah. Um, Anything else you want to say about it? What was your favorite scene? My favorite scene, like I said, the scene where you start to think he's being followed. Honestly, any scene between him and Woodward where they're kind of just bickering like an old married couple. They do like, well, bitch no. at one another so oh much. Oh my God, but it's so well done because it's so fucking fast. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of what the social network would do years later, just how quickly the dialogue, like, and there's nothing. Um, I also enjoy either of them flirting with a woman because you can tell that the women who are flirting with Robert Redford are not having to act and the women flirting with Dustin Hoffman are trying to figure out how to flirt with Dustin Hoffman. I think Dustin Hoffman's a robot, by the way. I love... Also, he smokes 900 cigarettes in this movie. Something like that, yeah. Some of the ballpark that, yeah. My favorite is whenever they're, like, working together towards the end, mm-hmm. and, like, Dustin Hoffman says something, and then <laughs> Bob Woodward is like, no, 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 we don't want to come inside. You can, t- you can talk here, you can talk here. And then you just see, like, the look on, Hoff- on, on Bernstein's face as he's like, why do you keep doing that? <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's the so scene, good. The scene where they think they're being bugged is really great. Oh, like, yeah. It, it has been ripped off a thousand times. This, a movie, times. this movie is a fucking American classic. Yeah. And it's a movie about a very important time. And like we said, these movies are about history. This is a movie about, like, a very important historical time. Yeah. Good news, guys. If you haven't seen if you haven't seen all the President's Men, maybe you should you should go see it. It's 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 very good. I can't imagine people. I mean, they, they I hadn't. Sh- how many really? They never showed this to you in any class in school. No. Why would they? I because, wasn't on a newspaper. Because history, newspaper. I guess. I want to say we saw it in math class for some reason. Yeah, uh, no, they, they never. Back, I think there's a scene where they're eating cake. I want to say. You know what though? We should finish it up before we get to what we would pair it with. Mm. With. The Oscar talk, because this right. was right, right, right. 
nominated for like five, I think, Oscars. If I, maybe even more. Yeah, let me pull it up real quick. It was nominated for uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, siete, ocho, eight Oscars. Is that uh, right? Yes, I fucking I accidentally clicked into the Oscar thing instead of uh, listing them. Best Art Direction, Best Director, Best Editing, Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Sound, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Supporting Actress. Okay, that's the one I want to start with. Best Supporting Actress. Who in the fuck was nominated in this movie? Alexander. Who is she in the movie? She plays Judy Graham Hoback. She plays the woman who is actually plays like a pivotal role. Is she the role. one who says if you get Nixon, that would be great? Yes. She okay. was the bookkeeper okay. for the committee of re-election. That was the only person I could think of. I was like, who in the hell is this woman? I mean, you could have you could have given it to, I mean, that one, the person who's in one scene, Penny. Uh, what is it? Penny Miller? I mean, yeah, but she's not in it nearly enough. Uh, but that seems great. I mean, if oh, no, you could no, nominate no. Jane Alexander for the two scenes she's in, Penny. No, Ford. no, no disagreement. No disagreement here. You're you're not you're not going to hear me. You're not going to hear me fight with you on that one. Do you want to give um, the Murderers Row of people who are up for Best Supporting Actress that year? You know, I do. I actually do. So you have Piper Laurie for Carrie, Lee Grant for Voyage of the Damned. Jodie Foster for Taxi Driver, Jane Alexander for All the President's Men, and Beatrice Strait for Network. That's Beatrice a... Strait won for Network, by the way. And what year? What year Oscars is this? This is the seventy-six. So 80... Would be the one that came that that that, that uh, the seventy-seven Oscars, uh, the seventy-six uh, year. I think it's what is it? it is the forty-nine? Forty. Yep. Yeah. Here I am. Sorry, I was just one off. I always do that. Uh, good year good year so yeah that's a that's a huge list of supporting acting talent i mean and we'll say it what's his name oh william goldman wins best screenplay for all the president's men best base uh, best support uh, best no, no, why is that best screenplay based why based on it? material from another Fucking medium just best adapt best Be- ad- because, uh, because best adapted is such they a had smart. more time back then they had more time <laughs> The original is worse than, like, best screenplay written directly for the screen based on factual material or story material not, pre- not previously published or produced. Ah, that's why they shortened it. Just best original um, screenplay. Was either of way. them... Huh? Was either of them up for actor? Wow, they weren't. No. To be fair, it's a it's a tight year. I feel like we've already talked about this year. Uh, who's Giancarlo Gianni? Who, who the fuck is this guy? He's in Seven Beauties, the Linda Vertmuller movie. I've never seen it, so I'm, that one I don't know. But Peter Finch winning for Network makes sense. Pa- posthumously, too. Uh, rip in peace. Yeah. So all the presidents... Let's You know what? Let's just go to picture and director. I think those are the last two big ones. Good for the guy who plays uh, Bradley. He absolutely fucking deserves it. He crushes every scene he's in. You mean Jason Robards? Jason Robards, yes. Yeah. For best director, we have Lena Wutmiller for Seven Beauties, Sidney Lumet for Network, Ingmar Bergman for Face to Face, Alan J. Pacula for All the President's Men, and John G. Avalidson for Rocky, who would end up winning. I mean, I can't really argue with Rocky. It's a pretty amazing movie. Uh, But, I mean, Avalidson's a weird win. 
I yeah, but he was never going to be back. He was never going to be back. That's true. I, that's true. But it's also just like you got Pacula, Bergman, Lumet, and Vertmuller. It's weird that the other guy won. Can we talk about the fact that, and we'll get to this when we get to picture, the fact that, you know what, let's just get to picture. Watch this. Taxi Driver. Martin Scorsese was not up for Taxi Driver for director. I mean, Ben, that's a movie that did direct itself. I don't know if you know this. No, I, I disagree. The guy who directed Bound for Glory wasn't up for Bound for Glory either. Oh, that's... Hal that's, Ashby. That's not Taxi Driver. Well, Hal Ashby is... Uh, Look, I, I respect Hal Ashby, and thank you for skipping a Network. Goddamn, Network and all the President's Men in the same year. And they would all lose to Rocky. Rocky's a good fucking movie. Rocky's a great movie. I'm not going to disagree with that. I'm glad we both agree that Rocky deserves its win. <laughs> oh, yeah. I do want to shout out that they did let my boy, Patty Chevsky, get the win for Best Original Screenplay for Network. That's good. He also wrote Marty, which is a movie that did win Best Best Picture in the 50s. And also, as we can tie it back to this, is the question that fucking uh, John Turturro throws away in the movie quiz show to throw his win. <laughs> Boom. We're back. What's the question? Hold on. The question is, what won Best Picture, whatever your Marty won? <sighs> and he goes, he goes, I can't throw that question. They're going to know. I was a Jew. I love Marty. It's my favorite movie of that year. He would love Marty. That does make a lot of sense, actually. How would Stemple? Oh, God, what a piece of... What a great movie. What a great movie Marty is. But what a great movie All the President's Men is. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. And I guess... I guess what do we have left? We have to give ratings, but we have to... I have to pair it with something, don't I? pair it with something. Good luck. Well, no, actually, I don't need luck, Tyler, because also this week... I sat down and I watched a little movie called The Parallax View. Oh, you son of a bitch. And I gotta tell you, Tyler, fits pretty damn well in this trilogy. It's probably my least favorite out of the three, but it's still a damn interesting movie. And I'll tell you this, it's Alan J. Pacula's most experimental out of the three. Mm. That's the reason why I'm interested in it. I'm sure I will probably absolutely love it. I love Warren Beatty. I love paranoid thrillers. I love this director, like, a lot. Yeah, so, he's, he's slowly becoming one I'm a big fan of as well. So yeah, I can't wait to watch the first visit that. I absolutely am so glad I invested time into Alan J. Pacula. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, like, I'm interested in giving him more time. There's another movie of his from the 70s that I want to watch called Comes a Horseman, which sounds fucking absolutely weird and up my alley and stars a, a young Scott Kahn, I think. And Jason Roberts. You mean James Kahn? James Con, not Scott Con, the other one. <laughs> this is my son. Put him in front of the camera. J- James, come on, man. Like, you can't do that. You got to be in the movies. Like, no, Scott's going to play the role. I'm going to sit over here and smoke. So, this is who's in Comes a Horseman Jane Fonda, James Con, Jason Robarts, and Richard Farnsworth. Richard Farnsworth? Yep. The scientist Futurama show. No, that's not him. Although he could play Farnsworth. That's a shame. He could. But that sounds good. But we have to ask Tyler, what do you give all the presidents men? I gotta give this one uh, a big old five stars. Oh, we're on the same page. I feel like this one's we're gonna be on the same page. Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what the next one is. The lights have come up and people are like, oh man, that was good. All the presidents men, top to bottom, solid movie. And they're all uh, stretching, and all of a sudden, a man has come out on stage with a bag over his head, and, oh, man, the audience looks terrified. <laughs> this sounds like this man has something to tell us. One man kept the Bay Area in a grip of fear. 
This man was never found. We do not know who he was. We only can speculate. He seemed to vanish just as quickly as he showed up. He mailed ciphers into newspapers. He kept everybody on the edge of their seat. This is, of course, David Fincher's movie of 2007, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, Robert Downey Jr. This is Zodiac. Guy used to sit there was a great cartoonist, Bob Bastian. Now he's on public television. Some reason. Paul Avery. Uh, Robert Graceman. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been here nine months. You were right, by the way. You didn't give his name. Who cracked it? A history teacher and his wife, Salinas. I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all to kill something gives me the most thrilling experience it is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl the best part of it is that when i die i will be reborn in paradise then all that i have killed will become my slaves i will not give you my name because you will try to Slow down or stop my collecting of slaves for my afterlife. He thinks our friend's a tad bit fucker in the head. I heard even sent Vallejo a code key just to help. What is that at the bottom? Leftovers. Maybe an anagram? I like puzzles. I do them a lot. How did you know he wasn't going to give his name? Dangerous animal. Dangerous animal. Oh, what dangerous animal? How do I know that? Paul. Yes, Tim. Editorial now. Very well. When I finished up our recording for Deep Red and Murder on the Orient Express, I went into the house and I said, you know what? I've already watched the movies we're going to watch for Aliens and Terminator. I should really try to get ahead. And I sat down and I watched both All the President's Men and I watched Zodiac back to back. And I got to tell you, Tyler, it is an excellent double feature. But more so than that, you also paired it perfectly where I think you put the movie that I think is more important to me second. So I want to thank you for that as well. I believe Zodiac might be Fincher's finest work. It's definitely... I think it's one or two. It's gotta be up there. Yeah. Would the other one be like, what, Fight Club? I was gonna make a joke and be like, what, Curious Case of Benjamin Button? But I was like, that's too too dumb of a joke even for me. (laughs) Boo! All the people who you're up on the stage dressed as the Zodiac are just throwing shit at you now. You're like, hey, hey! Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sorry. Who let you sneak an entire tomato patch in here? No, honestly, I think The Social Network is number two. Oh, right. And then, I guess, Fight Club. And then what? Like, you could just throw in a wild card and be like, I don't know. I really like the game. I think Seven, personally. Oh, yeah. He made a lot of good movies. He still does. I mean, shit, you didn't even say Gone Girl, and I know you love Gone Girl. Yeah, I think Gone Girl's all right. Yeah. And I mean, of course, you love Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yes, love is definitely a word I would use. Damn, he took five years between Panic Room and Zodiac? Yeah, he was depressed Shit. after Panic Room. I guess that makes sense. Panic Room was taken away from him, right? Oh, I didn't know that. Who would do that at that point? No, maybe it wasn't. Alien 3 was taken away from him. 
Panic Room is a movie. You're, you're not wrong. <laughs> so this movie, Zodiac, comes out 2007. Here's the weirdest part about this movie coming out in 2007, Tyler. You look at this movie after you've watched it and you say to yourself, oh, this is like an October release, right? Nope. <laughs> no, it's not. It comes out fucking March 2nd. Do you want to know why? I would love to know why. It was originally supposed to come out late October of 2006 and got postponed because I believe it was because David Fincher and the company that was releasing it could not agree on a cut. And eventually, I believe, he pared it down to two hours and... 37 minutes he eventually made a cut that like was released i think the director's cut is like 245 yes so, i think the director's cuts two. i think the director's cut that i have is 242 that's the one yeah 242 um, the original working print was like three hours long and they're like no fucking way <laughs> okay so director's cut is 242 the theatrical cut is 237 so there's not much more in there miss much i think it's just like a couple of like little touches one uh, scene is the cut where it's it's a black screen and he just plays oh the uh, passage of time yeah but he also plays the passage of time you hear little stuff mixed in mm -hmm. like you uh, actually you funny to connect it to the two you hear the resigning of nixon yeah and they got rid of that. It's like a two minute long, just it's just black, which I think is such an interesting touch. But yeah, I, the, I watched, I watched, instead of watching the director's cut, I watched the, what was on Netflix because it was just easier. And that was the theatrical cut. And I like, I like maybe want to watch the director's cut, but I read that there's not a whole lot of difference. There's not, there's not, but the fucking director's cut is amazing. Like it doesn't slow it down. It's it's it just works like the whole movie works. And I'll say this, Tyler, we are going to talk about the opening of this movie and then we are going to talk about the closing of this movie at the end, because I will tell you, Tyler, I believe that this movie and I can say this with having seen a lot of movies in my life may have one of the greatest tie ups in a movie of all time may have the greatest one of the greatest closing moments to a movie in all time as well. Yes. And we need to talk about that. I think this opening moment is absolutely so fucking, it gets you in it. <laughs> well, and I mean, we don't, this is once again another thing we really can't spoil because this is all a matter of public record. There was a serial killer in the late 60s, early 70s named Zodiac who shot people and he kind of held California in the grip of fear for like years upon years and we still don't know who he is. Ben, I'm going to be real with you. I'm obsessed with the Zodiac uh, Oh, it's, case. it's a fascinating case. It's, um, it's, it's America's Jack the Ripper, in my opinion. And much like Jack the Ripper, it might have been more than one person. But we're not, I'm not going to get into any of that. This is not a true crime podcast. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm deeply fascinated because my mom lived through it. Because she grew up in Fremont, California, which is in the Bay Area. And she was like young she was like six or seven when like the height of it all like the taxi cab killing and stuff like that happened so she talked about it a lot because you know it's her childhood and so i've known about the zodiac murders since i was a little kid <laughs> and so like when this movie came out i was like oh they're making a movie about zodiac i should watch this i was 13, 14 when this movie came out, I think. 2007, yeah. It was in eighth grade. 
And this movie, I did not get. <laughs> it's a very dense movie because I was 20 at the time. And do you know the movie it came out against the same weekend? It's not the Black Doll, yeah. Wild Hogs. Oh, motherfucker. Wild Hogs was in Theater 10. This was in Theater, like, 2. Yikes. Yeah, and I remember sitting there with my father, and it, there might have been seven to ten of us in the theater. Our friend Greg was sitting in front of us with his future wife-to-be, and we're all just sitting there, and that movie just comes to a close, and I turned to my dad, I said, I think that might be the best movie, like, I've seen in, like, five years. And my dad looked at me, and he goes, he goes, that might be the most effective movie I've ever seen made. And both of us just walked out. We still talk about the ending of this movie to this day. And, yeah, it's it's just, it's an absolutely incredible movie, and it's it's, I hate to be this guy, it's Fincher doing what Fincher does better than anyone. Fincher knows how to make a movie about a serial killer. But the thing is, I think the movie is so disinterested in the actual serial killing. Well, you're right, you're right. But the, the he uses the serial killer to paint a portrait of 60s and 70s California. And he happens to center that at the center of it. When it shows the murders, it's so sterile and that makes it like twice as upsetting. Because like you're so... You're so far away from it. You're so far pulled back from the murders happening that it's very upsetting. <laughs> because the movie is like, so like, yeah, we kind of got to get through these murders that it, it's like kind of this like joyless, passionless thing. And that makes the murders significantly harder to watch, in my opinion. It's also just kind of the coldness and like realism that he brings to mm. it. This isn't over the top like seven where it's like these masterful deaths that almost look like beautiful to a certain extent. They're almost, you know, I heard someone say, and I never put this together until you and I started doing this. They said the deaths in seven are almost giallo like just in how beautiful they are. Mm -hmm. Whereas like in this, it's like it's very cold and to the point that scene where those two, that couple gets stabbed is so fucking upsetting. That is fucking upsetting. I think the, the first scene is like absolutely. Youth is getting fucking snuffed out. Well, like, it's that, but then, like, the, the, he shows you the dude who's, like, twitching and still alive, and, like, that's, like, fucked up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, no bueno. Do not like this. And we, of course, know that the opening of this movie starts with a couple getting shot on Lover's Lane July 4th. And a little while later, a... Note is sent. By the way, the opening the, the opening shot after that of the camera just going over over into the Bay of San Francisco is just mm -hmm. one of the best opening shots he's had. Like in terms of just setting the mood. Also has a cracking score. This movie. Oh, great score. Where the I fuck think, was this? Where the fuck was the Oscars this year on this? I think it's just a movie that came out came out too early, and then it didn't perform as well as people expected it to, and then all sorts of stuff. You know what I mean? It's a shame. This movie should have had two best lead nominations in Ruffalo and Gyllenhaal. Well, you know what? Let's start with there. Let's start with the guy who, and you say two leads. I honestly think Gyllenhaal, it's his story at the end of the day. I would heavily push Ruffalo as a supporting actor. I guess you're right, yeah. yeah but then you but could have two supporting. I don't want Robert Downey Jr. canceling out the vote. I like Robert Downey Jr. in this. He's not good enough to be nominated in my I eyes. I know, man. I think Avery is a fucking great great character and i think he, i think this is maybe my favorite robert downey jr performance can we say this somebody should write a fucking book about <laughs> what you know what before we get into wh what happens to these three men because the tagline of this movie is actually exceptionally appropriate it says there's more than one way for a killer to take a life this movie is all about obsession mm -hmm. and it's about obsession by three men 
One who is wanting to find out who the Zodiac killer is because he needs to know. One who wants to find out who the Zodiac killer is because it's his job. And one who find, wants to find out who the Zodiac killer is because he has to know. Each of these men are very important. I think we should start with Gyllenhaal. I didn't know he was going to send another cop. I just guessed. Just guessed. The first one seemed too easy. Right, this can no longer be ignored. What is that you're drinking? It's an aqua velva. I wouldn't make fun of it if you tried it. This is in Gyllenhaal's four best performances, I would say. It's definitely up there. I mean, I go this, Nightcrawler, and, I mean, those are the two I would just submit. All right, well, I'll throw Donnie Darko out on the list for some fucking reason. I don't know why I'm doing that, but, you know. No, that's good. I'm just, those are the first two I went to. I mean, Donnie Darko is wild. I will, I will not say that you're wrong. <laughs> oh, and I mean, also, Prince of Persia. There, we did it. We built it. Sure, up. yeah, all right. No, 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 I'm kidding. <laughs> end, end of Watcher Prisoners is the last one I would say. If you're giving me a third, I would guess I would, I would have to say Brokeback Mountain. You know what? You're right. Brokeback Mountain, Nightcrawler, Donnie Darko, Zodiac. Gyllenhaal plays Robert Graysmith, who was a cartoonist at the um, San Francisco Chronicle, where these letters were sent. And uh, these letters are from a guy named Zodiac, who mm-hmm. like says, like, I kill people, and I want... He kind of wants to be weirdly famous. So, not going to get into it, but maybe the letters weren't from the Zodiac killer. You don't think so, huh? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe from someone else. Who knows? Can I, can I tell you something, Tyler, at least so I can clear your conscience on this? Yeah. I'm not the Zodiac, and even if I was, I wouldn't tell you. So, he's a cartoonist for the thing, Robert Graysmith, mm. and these letters start showing up, and obviously you need to assign somebody to this case, and it turns out Inspector David Toshi is assigned, and he's played by Mark Ruffalo. Nuts. Whoever this is, you owe me a new lamp. Three blocks from the Presidio. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't me. I've been with my bride all night. She can vouch. Go put on the Folgers. You'll pick me up? Let me just describe the lamp you're going to buy me. And by the way, some of the greatest checkered pants I've ever seen. You know who David Tashi inspired, right? A Dirty Harry, right? And Bullet. Oh, yeah, that's right, Bullet, because there's that line from Robert Downey Jr. He says, hey, when are you going to catch this guy, Bullet? Yeah. Davitashi was a real dude, and this case kind of fucked up his life for a while. Well, this is this is his torso killer. He never gets, like, satisfaction out of this. And, oh, man, fucking Ruffalo is incredible. Ruffalo is good if used the right way. I, I'm not saying Ruffalo can be good all the time, but, like, Ruffalo used in the right way is really good. I book. mean, if, if you want to do a one-to-one double feature, this and Dark Waters, if you want to do, like, a then-now type double feature, because, like... That's not bad, actually. His That's performance in both are kind of pretty similar, and, like, the I, movie's take on them is pretty I similar. I don't think he eats as much in Dark Water as he does in this. <laughs> True. <laughs> By the way, do you have any animal crackers? <laughs> one of my favorite, like, people popping up is June Diane Raphael as, the, as his wife. It's Carol Tashi. And I'm like, oh, really? oh it's the comedy person from that I know from those comedy things in this movie. She might be so in the background, I don't even know it's her. My God. Yeah. The third guy we have to talk about is Paul Avery, who is played by, and people, people say, they say, oh, Iron Man, the return of Danny Jr. Whoa. Hey, where's his gun, my bullet? Uh, McQueen got that from... Husky. Does he think that Zodiac's going to send another code? Because I think Zodiac's going to send another code. Jesus, Harold Christ on rubber crutches, Bobby. What are you doing? Bull fucking shit. He did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and he did Zodiac. 
way before that movie, and these are fucking incredible performances. Yeah, they're... I mean, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang's one of my favorite movies of that decade. Oh, I I wouldn't disagree that I think Zodiac's one of my favorite movies of that decade. Damn, that's... Yeah. I forgot... I keep forgetting about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and then I'll rewatch it and be like, yeah, that movie's fucking great. Oh, yeah. Some of the dialogue doesn't age pretty particularly well, but that movie's still good. I mean, I'll say this. If I could be outside of Robert Downey Jr.'s house yelling things at him, I'd be like, you're only doing Doolittle because of Zodiac! You apologize to David Fincher! You do it now! That would be me, though. I don't know how you feel about it. My favorite story from the set of Zodiac is that at one point, David Fincher had them do so many takes that Robert Downey Jr. had to piss in a cup. Was it just because he was there so long, or what? Yeah, no, it was because they had to do, like, 50 takes of the same scene. And it was one of the, like, office scenes. It was one of the scenes where they're, like, doing the editorial thing, and he's, like, they're all sitting around a table. And, like, apparently Fincher was just, like, not satisfied. I can't even imagine. I mean, and this is this is Fincher at the height of his craziness, maybe, in some ways. I mean, as someone who's been on a, mo- like, movie set, like, I guess movie set in quotation marks, I was on, like, a couple short films. But, like, it, dude, it takes fucking forever to reset shit like that. It does. 50 but... fucking takes? Like, that's insane. He broke 76 fucking laptops on the social network. This yeah. man's a monster. Yeah. I mean, like, and he's a monster in the best possible way. I've never heard anything bad said about him outside of, like, oh, he's particular. Someone was on the set of a Fincher movie. It was Gone Girl. And it was the scene where they go into the bookstore, Ben Affleck and Roseman Pike, and they, like, end up fucking in there. And it's when they first walk in, an extra walks by, like, walks in the scene, like, and I guess, and Fincher goes, cut, cut, and, like, he's sitting there, and I can't remember who it was who was telling the story, but he's behind him, and Fincher just goes, that's not how you fucking walk. And, like, and all of a sudden, like, um, fit, like they're, they're resetting stuff, and Fincher's, like, sitting there, and the guy's sitting next to him, and, like, this person walks over to hand Ben Affleck a cup of coffee, he goes, he goes, that's how you fucking walk. He's a dude who apparently just notices little details and, like, is super obsessed with them. He seems, like, obsessive to the point of, like, not being able to sleep at night. You know what I mean? Like, he just seems like that type of guy. And this is a movie of, like, little details. Well, you know what? We're And we're going to go about this a little differently this week. Since we've touched on our three main people, because these are the three guys on the poster. Oh, wow, Ruffalo gets first billing. He was the biggest star at the time. Is that really true? Gyllenhaal wasn't. I'll be doing. Uh, yeah, I, so, I believe if the poster is correct, it's Ruffalo, Gyllenhaal, Danny Jr. That is correct. Let me ask um, you this: What is yeah. your favorite? Working backwards, what is your favorite uh, Downey Jr. scene? My favorite Downey Jr. scene is the scene in the basement where he's talking to Graysmith, and he's like, "So this is what I have so far." And it's basically like this guy, the guy, the letters could be from fucking anybody. He's just taking shit that's already publicly available. Like, mm-hmm. it's all publicly available. And we don't know that he's writing it before those stories come out. I will um, say this. I think my favorite scene is where he gets the bloody piece of cloth. His flip out is great. I want a gun. I want a gun right now. That or, like, when he takes Hall drinking and Hall's like, it's a this. It's like, whatever this Th- This is an is. aqua velva and you wouldn't make fun of it if you tried it. And then it just cuts to, like, seven aqua velvas. <laughs> and just how wasted fucking Downey Jr. is. Oh, it's so sad because you know he's drinking himself into an early grave. The thing is, is Paul Avery lived to be like 70, I think. Like, he lived a pretty long life. I do, I do love the scene where they're, once again, also, he, Tyler's taking us another level deeper in the inception. Um, this is a movie about newspapers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do love the line, too, where he's like, he, it's the same scene with the Dustin Hoffman, and he goes, he goes, Jesus Christ, I wrote it. It's done. He goes, it's not typed up. It's t- it's done when you type it up. 
<laughs> yeah, it it echoes the the Dustin Hoffman being like, I'm polishing it. Yeah, that's right. Ruffalo, what's your favorite scene? There's something so haunting about him seeing Dirty Harry and like having to leave. It is kind of a PTSD thing, isn't it? It really looks like he's not having a great time. <laughs> I do love later on when Robert Graysmith first approaches him. He goes, he goes, I'm Robert Graysmith. And he just kind of looks at me and goes, he goes, we met once at the movies. He goes, must have been magical. <laughs> I'll say this too. One of the best moments is where he, tur- I can't remember who he's talking to, but Ruffalo turns on and he goes, you know, I don't know if I wanted it to be him so bad so we could catch him or if this thing would be over. Like He's talking to Dermot Mulrooney. Oh, that's right. Elias Koteas is in this movie, too. Yeah. There's a lot of good people in this movie. Do you want to? I'm just going to shout out some people. Uh, Brian Cox, John Carroll Lynch. Can we talk about Brian Cox being like just just his the scene where he's on the floor and they go, he's not going to shoot at you. These these could this is bulletproof glass. He goes, oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) Donald Logue. He's quite good. Philip Baker Hall. <laughs> he goes, what's that? He goes, it's you waiting in the hall if you say one more thing. Sorry. Sorry counts as one more thing. <laughs> Philip Baker Hall is so amazing in anything he's in. Even the guys that have like one small line or like one scene. You know who we didn't mention? Yeah. Anthony Edwards. Yeah. Anthony yeah, yeah, yeah. Edwards, as, as his partner, is one of the greatest cop relationships in a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, the scene where he sits down next to him and, like, he's eating a sandwich that he's clearly ordered for him and he just looks at Mark Ruffalo and then he just hands him half the sandwich. It's so cute. And it's so hard. He's the one guy who kind of gets a happy ending out of this. Because mm-hmm. he he's just like, I'm fucking done. He's like, I can't do it anymore. He's like, he's like I'll see. Yeah. And also just the scene after where Mark Ruffalo's like, you got any animal crackers? And the, other, the new partner just looks at him like, what? What the fuck are you talking about? Why would I have animal crackers? People like Clea Duvall show up for like one scene, tiny scene. Oh, fucking what's her name? Chloe Savini is fantastic yeah. in this. And, and we said it before, John Carroll Lynch as probably Zodiac. You can talk to him in here. Coke machine's busted, by the way. I'll go get him for you. So how do you guys want to do this? Well, Bill talked to the informant. Two leads we follow. It's okay by me. Mr. Allen, I'm Inspector Bill Armstrong. This is Inspector Dave Toski and Sergeant Jack Mullinax. We're investigating the Zodiac murders in San Francisco and Vallejo. Please, sit down. The informant notified us that you made certain statements 11 months prior to the first Zodiac murder. If they're true, they're quite incriminating. Do you recall having any such conversation? No. Have you ever read or heard anything about the Zodiac? When it was first in the paper, but I didn't follow it after those first reports. Why not? Too morbid. I told all this to the other officer. Which other officer? From Vallejo. Do you remember his name? No, but it was right after the murder at the lake. And what did you tell this officer? I told him that I'd gone to Salt Point that weekend to skin dive, 
that I was alone, but I met a couple there. I have their names at home if you want. That would be great, Arthur. Lee. What? Lee. Nobody calls me Arthur. Also, that day when I came home, my neighbor saw me. It was around four, but I forgot to tell the other officer that. Neighbor's name? Bill White. He died a week or so afterwards. Heart attack, so I didn't think to call to follow up. The knives I had in my car with the blood on them, that blood came from a chicken that I killed for dinner. What? I had knives in my car that weekend. Maybe Bill saw them and called the other officer on me. Well, we'll be checking in on that. Uh, let me ask you something else. Were you ever in Southern California at any time in 1966? Is this about the Riverside killing? Yes. Well, I guess I was there around that time. I used to go down there a lot. I liked the auto races. Foreman says that you're ambidextrous? No, that's untrue. You can't write with both hands. My teachers tried to make me when I was a kid, but I couldn't. I'm left-handed. He also said that you made statements about killing schoolchildren. That is... That is horrible. That is... That's a horrible thing to say. So, you aren't angry about being fired from Valley Springs for touching your students? I'm not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Uh, that, that, that's a nice watch. Thank you. May I see it? May I see it? Where'd you get it? It's a Christmas gift from my mother two years ago. That's very sweet. So tell me something, Arthur. You don't remember anyone you might have had a conversation with regarding the Zodiac? Maybe uh, Ted Kidder of Fell Tucker uh, at Vallejo Recreation. But I couldn't be positive. I used to work there once. The most dangerous game. What? The most dangerous game. That's why you're here, isn't it? It was my favorite book in high school. It's about this man who waits for people to get shipwrecked on this island. Because he was tired of hunting animals, he hunted the people for the challenge. And man is the most dangerous animal of all? That's the whole point of the story. Great book. Or at least that's what I told Phil. There you go. Sure. Thanks for your time. I'm willing to help in any way possible. I look forward to the day when police officers are no longer referred to as pigs. Thanks. We'll be in touch.
anyone think the suspect warrants further investigation? That is the winner of like of the Baldwin performance. John Carroll Lynch is fucking incredible in his three minutes on screen. I love that scene because everyone in the everyone in that everyone in that scene is like, no, this guy's this guy is the Zodiac Killer. Pretty sure. We're all pretty sure. It doesn't make sense that the letters don't match, but like my thing is like, wouldn't someone be like, well, what if it's two different people? Yeah, no one ever addresses that idea. We don't know. Just also a shout out to Charles Fleischer, who only pops up in one scene, but it's like remind me of Charles Fleischer. He plays Bob Vaughn. He's the guy at the end of the movie <laughs> where he like takes him to the basement and stuff. That dude yeah. is in. Okay, so you know we'll get back onto it. Your favorite Robert Downey Jr. scene is maybe the Aqua Velva. Your favorite Ruffalo scene is the Dirty Harry. What's your favorite Gyllenhaal scene? Because I think it's that. I think it's that. That basement like, scene, especially where that guy says it too, he goes, he goes, I drew the posters. And it's it's like it ratchets up and up and up. And it's like, I could believe that guy writing the letters, but I don't know if I believe that guy's a killer. I believe he wrote the letters, maybe, and John Carroll Lynch's character like did the killing. There's just that that scene is fucking upsetting. Oh, because you're like, you're like, Gyllenhaal might die. Like, you know he doesn't because you know this is based on a book that this guy wrote. Yeah, but you're you like, see based you're on like, a book by Robert Graysmith. <laughs> yeah, you're, but you're like, oh shit, is this going to be the thing? Like, but then I remember one of the best stories I have about this. I used to own a DVD player that you could set it to like count up or count down on a movie. Mm-hmm. And I set it to count down when a movie was playing so I could see how much was left if I wanted to like turn in or go to bed. And my mom was watching this for the first time and she looks, she goes, there's 15 minutes left in this movie. I go, yeah. And she goes, we have no idea who the killer is. I'm like, yeah, mom, we never do. And she goes, oh yeah, this movie sucks. And I'm like, no, it doesn't suck. And she's like, okay, it doesn't suck, but I'm still mad we don't know who it is. I'm like, yeah, you and the rest of America are mad. Like, sorry, what do you want from me here? Yeah, here's the thing. You're never going to know. Yeah, don't go into this movie expecting to be like, and the Zodiac killer was Old Man Carruthers. It's not. Okay, real quick. We should talk about the last scene. Okay, um, well, let's let's retouch on the opening scene. Okay. Two, two kids are shot in a Lover's Lane-like situation, and that's kind of what kicks off the movie. Mm-hmm. The rest of the movie is Mark Ruffalo's character trying to investigate this, the cases of the Zodiac shooting, while Robert Graysmith, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, attempts to, uh, kind of follows it and becomes more and more obsessed with it, where Paul Avery's character becomes more and more obsessed with it in a different way. And the movie's all about them kind of like, being like forced to look into this case even though they don't want to because it's kind of necessary Mm -hmm. and after the movie like goes to black at one point you think okay that's got to be the end of it and it reopens at a at an airport in orland california mr michaud thanks for coming to see me you're the one I talked to on the phone? I'm George Bauer. Vallejo PD. I took over for Jack Molex. It's been 22 years. I don't know how I can help you. Well, this is just a formality. I'm going to show you a group of photographs. Now, the person that shot you may or may not be among these photographs. You don't have to pick anybody out just because I'm showing you these pictures, you understand? Uh, yes, sir, I do. <clears throat> All right. Take your time. If you don't recognize anyone, that's okay. <clears throat> It's him. 
How sure are you? Yeah, pretty sure. You had a round face like this guy. But am I to understand that you're now identifying this second photograph? No, no, just, just that you had a round face like that. It's this man. Alright. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being positive, how sure are you? At least an 8. Last time I saw this face was July 4th, 1969. I'm very sure that's the man who shot me. And you see a guy being stopped by two guys and there, it doesn't appear that they're arresting him. They're walking him along and you see another guy waiting. And we also see the book Zodiac written by Robert Graysmith. And it appears to be like, pretty big like it's on like yeah it's literally on the bestseller rack like it is on the bestseller rack and they bring this guy in and this guy by the way is played by jimmy simpson and if you don't know who jimmy simpson is he's a fucking amazing character actor i would say for maybe the most well-known thing he's on westworld he plays the young version of the man in black Mm -hmm. and he's also on one of the more famous black mirror episodes right is he now yeah it's he plays the plays one of the Star Trek people in the USS Callis- oh, USS yes, Callister. Yes, yes that's episode. right. And more importantly to the rest of you, he plays a man named Liam McPoyle in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And I'll tell you, man, that's a character who's had an arc. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Oh. Never watched It's Always Sunny. I'll take oh, your word for it. Have you really never? You would love it, I think. It's a lot of TV. It is, but I can break it down into things that you need to see. That's fine. Like the McFoyle family. Point being is Jimmy Simpson is brought in, and you find out, and they do this very cleverly, you find out that he is the kid who was shot at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he sits down across from this guy who's a police investigator who took over for, by the way, this, these crimes span over several counties, so it's like there are several different police who have jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. That's he, the that's the thing I think the movie is like hammering home mm-hmm. is how fucking hard it is to get on the on the same page between jurisdictions. Well, yeah, because they all want the credit. The thing is, they're all working together, but they're they're this shit still gets lost. Mm-hmm. Exactly, <sighs> especially so with the lack of computer. Oh yeah, I agree. So he sits this guy down. And he says, and he said, and the guy says, he goes, that was that was over like twenty years ago. He goes, I don't know what I can tell you. And he goes, we have a couple of pictures. We want you to look at him, and they put the pictures in front of him and they all kind of look similar. And there's like about 10 or 12 seconds of silence. And Jimmy Simpson's character delivers one of the greatest moments in a movie. And he goes, he goes, that's him. He doesn't say, I think that's him. He goes, that's him. And the guy says, how sure are you? And he goes, pretty sure. He goes on a scale from one to 10. How sure are you? And he's like, yeah. And, and he says, and he goes, he's eight. Like, and he goes, he had a round face like this guy. He goes, are you identifying you? He goes, he goes, no, no, I'm just saying he had a round face like that guy. And this is the part I want to talk about Tyler. When the shooting happens at the beginning of this movie, there's a song on, that's playing on the radio. And it's Hurdy Gurdy Man by Donovan. Mm. 
And it's right at this moment, and we're going to put the clip in here where he says, he says, the last time I saw that face, and he gives the date, and he says, and you hear, all of a sudden you hear that, and it, and it takes you, but this is why it's the greatest, it may be the greatest ending to a movie of all time. It takes you right back to that moment. Yeah. And it takes you right back to like the moment before just it all goes wrong and like kind of the innocence in this movie dies because you have to deal with this killer. And he says, he goes, he goes, I am pretty sure that's the man who shot me. And just it's those two looking at each other in the face and the movie just kind of goes to black and you get a little postscript about like what happened. Um, the character John Carroll Lynch passes away from a heart attack and Robert Graysmith says like, I'm pretty sure the Zodiac is gone. I'm pretty sure it was him. Like it's it's just a movie that has no ending. Mm hmm. I what I think the movie I love that the movie ends on that like moment, and then immediately in the postscript is like yeah, but eh, we don't really know. All the yeah, evidence no, we have no. against him kind of turned out to not be him. So yeah. like the postscript's immediately like he might not have been the guy who shot him. Yeah, <laughs> like, we really we don't. don't. But, know. but I'll say this: when that music hits, I remember thinking I I and it still sends a chill down my spine. I'm just like I'm like this is filmmaking at its absolute best. Mm. Like that piece of music is so effective, and just when it goes to black and like, and you're not sure what that movie leaves you with is exactly what that movie should leave you with uncertainty. What I think is so interesting is how this movie is really good at introducing its characters to you. Yeah. I love when Robert Graysmith is like, he just like offhandedly goes, I like puzzles. I do puzzles in my off time. And then it hit the movie becomes about him, like trying to solve this puzzle that is never mm -hmm. going to solve. And then you have like Paul Avery who like, is kind of an asshole, but it's like, I mean, like, let's go get what, you know, like kind of, oh, like the he, person you want to be like, around him. You want to be around him. He's charming. He's definitely a person who uses like, but he, it, it like shows that he uses alcohol as a way to get away from his job. Yeah. And then Dave Tashi, it's like, this guy is very funny. He's very light. And he, but like, this is a job to him and he's good at it. Yeah. He would probably want to do something else, but he's so good. The scene alone, I'll say this actually, my favorite Ruffalo scene is where they're walking through the cabbie, like assassination scene where they're mm -hmm. walking through the cabbie murder. And you're just like, Oh, this good. This dude, it really shows he's good at his job. It shows they're all good at what they do. Mm -hmm. And I really do like that. And I like that because it shows you what is going to destroy them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's in its own way. It's passion. Like it's mm -hmm. passion for knowing and it's, it's wanting to know. Yeah. yeah it's a, it's a remarkably just a good movie. It's, it's so dark. Mm -hmm. Like it's just so fucking dark. Robert Graysmith loses his second wife and uh, David Tashi is like basically like is hated by all of San Francisco because they think that he wrote the letters for a little bit. And then Paul yeah. Avery loses his job at the Chronicle because he becomes a drug addict. Like he goes off the rails, has to start working for the Sacramento Bee. Do you want to know what Paul Avery did after this, though? What did he do after this? He ended up writing a book on the uh, Patty Hearst saga. Oh, get out of here. And because of that, the Hearst-backed family, who owns the San Francisco Chronicle, hired him back. Hey, look at that. And he finished his career as a reporter in 1994 uh, as a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. Look at that. Man, let's do his movie. Let's have Robert Downey Jr. play Paul Avery. Paul Avery's a weird dude. And then he, re and then he creates guy. that show, Tex Avery, right? That's, that's him. Am I right about that? Like I said, this is one of the best movies that focuses on a real-life crime, I think, that I've maybe ever seen. Not to foreshadow what other movie I'd pair this with. Oh, um, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you pick these movies. I know. I, I get I to know. pair. I get I to know. Pair. 
And I'd like to talk about that if that's okay. That's fine, yeah. Because I would like to pair this with the other movie I watched this week, Memories of Murder. Oh, thank God. Yeah, I knew I knew that's what you were going with. Uh, Memories of a Murder is the, my favorite thing I saw this week. That movie's fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. The ending of that movie is maybe is very close to as effective as the ending of this movie. Fitcher was inspired by Bong Joon Ho's Memory of a Murder, which came out I think two thousand one, right? Two thousand one, two. Yes, that is correct. So he was inspired by that movie to make this movie, and then subsequently, <laughs> Bong Joon Ho has ranked this movie on like one of his 10 favorite movies of all time on the sight and sound bowl. So that's just, you know, just the love fest happened with those two directors. Yeah. I mean, 2003's memories of murder is just like, it has the same feel to it where you're just like, we don't really know. We don't know mm-hmm. anything and you never going to know. So the ending, and we'll talk about this when we inevitably do memories of a murder was that movie was made before they ever knew who the killer was. Mm-hmm. And so the person playing the detective is doing his, like, look thing at the audience. But years later, actually, last year, they found out who did the murders. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The guy who's, he was, he was, he's been in prison since, like, the 90s because of, you know, assaults, and he's not a very good person. But they, like, they matched his DNA, or he, like, confessed or something like that. Yeah. One of those two things. And they're like, yeah, he's the murderer. And the thing is, it's like the statute of limitations in that country has passed. So he cannot be tried for those murders. But Ugh, they, know he's a mur- he, they know he's a, he's the murderer. And they also know that he's like not getting out of prison. Oh, so. yeah. And sadly, unlike Memories of Murder, there is no answer to Zodiac. And that's what I think makes it the most effective movie is because that movie, like David Fincher takes you on a nearly three hour ride and says, I'm not going to tell you who it is because I don't know. And I, and it would be, it would be gauche of me to pretend like I knew we don't know. Mm -hmm. We still don't know. And we never will probably. It's like Jack Mm -hmm. the Ripper. We don't know who fucking Jack the Ripper was. We don't know who Zodiac was. These are the great monsters who slip off into history because of the fact that they were able to do it because they didn't have the technology. Yeah. We'd know who Zodiac was in 10 minutes today. Probably. The great thing about this movie is kind of what makes actually all the President's Men great. Even though you know the ending of all the President's Men, you don't care. You're still wildly entertained. Just like even though you don't know the ending of Zodiac, you're still wildly entertained. Mm-hmm. And that's what a great movie does and a great filmmaker can do. I mean, you know the end. You just you just know that, like, you just, you're kind of like, I wonder how they're going to end this movie where no one knows who the fuck did it. That ends it the perfect way with a yeah. beautiful song by Donovan and just two guys looking very very uncomfortable staring at each other wondering what is and what could be yeah i do like the like immediate post credits is like yeah but like arthur lee allen all of the evidence they had kind of doesn't fit all the evidence they had for the other guy kind of doesn't fit perfectly and so it's like this thing where it's like well how do you make this make sense (laughs) it's very true it is but i'll tell you something that will make sense tyler is whatever you're about to give this movie Oh, uh, Ben, uh, I'm going to give this. this I, is this the first time this ever happened I'm gonna, where one of us has given both movies five stars? Well, it doesn't matter if it's the first time that this has happened because it's definitely the first time both of us have given both movie five stars. I think this may be a first ever double five. Maybe The Matrix. No, Existence was on there. That definitely didn't happen. Yeah. Um, oh, that's right. I gave both those movies. I think I gave Existence four and a half, but yeah. 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 But being is like, these these are two classics of their time. I maintain, I want to actually go back and look at the 2000s. I think Zodiac might be in the top 10 movies of that decade. Probably for sure. Yeah. But it's just, there's, I mean, 
It has the greatest ending of all time, in my opinion. This is my favorite ending to a movie. Putting this movie, I mean, and it still affects me the same way. Now, granted, I can't watch just that scene. I have to watch the whole thing to get that feeling. But once you get there, you are rewarded for following it. Yeah, it does. It pays out that ending. It's just ugh, so good. Oh, man. Two good movies. <laughs> Two great movies, actually. Yeah, yeah I agree. <laughs> Well, that takes us out of Zodiac, and then the people are looking at their playbill and saying, like, oh, I don't know if I can listen to this this next week. The Oscars are on. I mean, like, they better do something Oscar-related, right? So, because the Oscars are happening around the time that this... Uh, well, it should be actually happening the week this comes out. I want Ben to go mm-hmm. and pick two Oscar-winning movies he has never seen before. Not just two Oscar-winning movies, two Best Picture winners. Am well, I correct? yeah, two Best Best Picture Oscar winners. Sorry, Apologies. that's okay. That's okay. No, no, I just want them to be clear. I don't want them thinking we're just you know picking Best Costume Design or something. Oh, man, we could man if you, that. Ooh, that'd be a, that opens up a lot of movies. <laughs> the Age of Innocence. Ninety um, percent <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, twice. <laughs> that's next on my Scorsese list. Well, first we're gonna have to take a little trip to the year nineteen ninety six, and. You're going to ask yourself, well, why are you picking this movie? It's because it's the first movie, if you start from last year and head all the way down, that I have not seen. And we're going to jump in a little plane with Anthony Minghella, who's going to take us on a journey, and we are going to discover who is, and I have to assume this is a mystery, the English patient. Oh, no. Oh, I know. It hurts, doesn't it? it oh, hurts. man. I haven't seen the English patient, so we have to watch that. You think that's bad? We're then going to get out of that plane, and we're going to jump into a little car in 1989, and we're going to talk about a movie God by Bruce. damn it, Ben. <laughs> Driving Miss Daisy. That's right. They're the first two I hadn't seen, and I'm betting they're going to suck. Could have figured it. You could have picked, like, The Last Emperor, which I'm sure that you haven't seen. No! I won't pick the movie that fucking screwed up my year of birth for movies. You could have picked Ordinary People. You are talking about how you hadn't seen that. No, you have, but no. We're gonna watch Driving Miss Daisy and The English Patient. Motherfucker. I know! You have both of them, too. Ugh. You think I'm happy about it? Fucking, the only thing I know about Driving Miss Daisy is that Spike Lee hates that movie. And I happen to respect Spike Lee. And the only thing I know about The English Patient is that Elaine Bennis hates that movie. And I fucking respect Elaine Bennis. A lot of people hate The English Patient, Ben. I'm looking forward to hating it. I'm looking forward to talking about maybe other things should have been up that year, which is going to be a great part of that discussion. At least you didn't pick fucking Dances with Wolves. I'd be like, Ben, I don't know if I have time to watch that movie. I've seen Dances with Wolves. We're fine. (laughs) Thank God. Trust me, trust me. Half of that movie is me going, I want them to apologize to Martin Scorsese. (laughs) All right, well, there you go. Yeah. Your homework for next week is from the 62nd Academy Award, Driving Miss Daisy, and from the 69th Academy Awards, nice, The English Basement. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, sex in the bathtub, that doesn't work. So, yeah, but you guys, of course, can follow us at TWGTF Pod on Twitter. And you can follow me at ET Critic, where I'm posting all my stuff. I'm, I'm heavily into the Michael Mann movies right now, kids. If you can't figure that out, why? We're always doing stuff there. Make sure you're giving us our guys a five star review. Tyler, is there anything you want to plug? No. 
mad about those two Best Picture winners, aren't you? I'm fucking so mad I have to spend so much time watching the fucking English Patient. <laughs> it's two hours and 42 minutes! It's so long, Ben. It's so, I'm aware! Your next, the next thing I'm giving you is short fucking movies. Great! I don't care! I did it! You, the, I fulfilled the obligation. You did. You cannot, you cannot say it. They were the first two I hadn't watched. Trust me, I'm as mad at me as I am at you. This is like when the WWE has a really shit ending, and they're like, "Well, we f- fulfilled the obligation. We gave you a, we gave you a show." Tyler, I was at Hell in a Cell last year. I yeah. know what it is. We gave you the main event, so you have nothing to plug. No. Uh, and for TWGTF, two white guys talking film. I'm of course your host Ben. I'm Arthur Lee Allen. And remember, guys, if you're sitting in the front row and a guy pulls up next to you in a car and then drives off but comes back around. It's probably not going to work out well for you. You should leave. You should. You should leave right then. Mm-hmm. Thrown like a star, my vast fire opened my eyes to take a peek. Find that I was by the sea, gazing with tranquility. Just then, when the hurdy gurdy man came singing songs of love, then when the hurdy gurdy man came singing songs Histories of ages past, unenlightened shadows cast down through all eternity, the crying of humanity. Tis then when the hurdy gurdy man comes singing songs of love. Then when the hurdy gurdy man comes singing songs of love. <laughs> Comes a roly-poly man and he's singing songs of love. 
Should we cut for Zodiac? Sorry, I know this is not the time. No, 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 it's fine. We'll, we'll, we can cut this. Who cares? I will say this. I want to talk about the ending of that movie, so we're going to throw that in there. But for the opening clip, you know what, actually? The Mark Ruffalo scene at the in the diner where they're talking, and he says, Door to door. That is less than 50 yards. Is that true? I've walked I was gonna cut that or the or the scene where um it's again the main guy uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Robert Downey Jr. and he's like he could have gotten all of this from just from the police files like this could be just some random dude so I think that might be like one of my favorite okay. moments too I think they're both so, very good yeah we'll 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 figure it out you send me whatever you want and we will we will put that one in there <laughs> William Goldman writes all the presidents men best director. We have Liana Miller for The Seven Beauties. We have Sidney Lumet for Network. We have Ingmar Bergman for Face to Face. Ellen G. Pacula for All the President's Men. And John G. Avladison for Rocky, which would win. Can I have yeah. you take another pass at the lady who directed Seven Beauties? <laughs> Lena Wertemuller? I literally just said her name. <laughs> it's Lena Wertemuller. Oh, oh, that W's a V, huh? Yeah. Okay. It's like right, crazy Europeans and their weird pronunciations. You know? I mean, never mind. Not going to get into it. I think Hold on, are... real quick, real quick. Yeah. Jack Twist, more like Jack Nasty. You don't know nothing about him. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's one of the greatest, one of the worst, best deliveries of a line. Jack Twist, Jack Nasty. It, my favorite thing about that line is you feel the person delivering it like, oh, this is, she's been thinking about this line for months. She's <laughs> and it like, comes she's out like and she goes, like, here it is. Here's my, here's my Oscar reel scene. <laughs> and you're like, it's okay, I guess. I love the idea that Ang Lee just yells, he says, cut very quietly, comes, comes behind, he turns to Heath and just bows to him very quietly. Heath bows back, turns to Michelle Williams and just slaps her across the face. He goes, what if that line, but better? And then just turns back around. <laughs> And then, like, she delivers the line exactly the way we see it on screen. He goes, perfect. <laughs> Turns out he was looking for the weirder performance. My favorite thing is Ang Lee will walk up to actors and just be like, um, uglier. And they'll be like, what? He's like, you heard me, uglier. <laughs> he speaks very fluent English, but he uses the fact that English is in his first language as a way to be, like, significantly harsher to actors than, like, that's, American. That's great. English actors That's or like English. I'm only English gonna figures. work with I'm only gonna work with French people and do yeah. that. <laughs> and by the way, you say the detective looks at you in memories of a murder. How dare you? His name is Kang Ho Suk, and that's the guy from Parasite. I, I will not hear you speak. Okay, him. well, Kang Ho Suk is not actually looking at you. He's looking at the murderer. Bong Joon Ho knew that the murderer would not be able to not watch that movie. Oh no, I know. By the way. The guy who is, like, the one who beats up the people in the interrogation, funniest fucking thing in that movie. Still very funny, yeah. He, I love that so he much. He fucking kicks a guy. He uh, soccer ball kicks that guy. He jumps over the desk, and then the other guy's like, don't ever come in there again. And then that movie makes it sad when he loses that leg. Oh, it does. That movie's <laughs> amazing. I'm honestly, like, now trying to track down all of Boon Jong Ho's stuff, and, like, 
I gotta tell you, you gotta watch Mother. Oh, it, it's next. It, yeah. You, yeah. And um, I have something called Barking Dogs Never Bite or something. That's on Shutter. Yeah. Oh, is I it? Watch that too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Barking Dogs Don't Bite. That's his first movie. I don't even know anything about it. I think it's a comedy. Great. I'll, I'll watch a Bong Joon Ho comedy. Give me one second. I'm loading his page. I'm and take guess a big who, giant sip. And guess who also is on a, a Wikipedia? Oh, good. Yeah, oh, good. Yeah. The clip I pulled, by the way, is, is is not the type of clip that you think you you would pull for a movie like this. What did you pull? I pulled the one where Redford like walks over to Hoffman and is like like chewing him out for like like rewriting his the the lead without um telling him. Yeah, and, and Hoffman gives him the speech about like how it's unclear you're you don't get to this guy's name until like like the fourteenth line or something. Mm. Redford is like, no, you're you're right. You should rewrite it, but mm-hmm. don't. If you're gonna do it, do it. Do it fucking right. Can I can I tell you something, Tyler? Yeah, that's the clip I cut. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's exactly the one I was gonna go to, and I think I also want to throw in a clip somewhere when we get to him about the guy who plays Ben Bradley. You guys are probably pretty tired, right? Well, you should be. Go on home. Get a nice hot bath, rest up 15 minutes, then get your asses back in gear. We're under a lot of pressure, you know, and you put us there. Nothing's riding on this except the uh, First Amendment of the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters, but if you guys fuck up again, I'm going to get mad. <laughs> 